Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media. To make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. A blessed feast of St. John's commemoration. St. John is a very special saint in the church. When you read about St. John, uh, especially in the life of um, the Holy Workshop of Virtue, which is his biography, it's written by St. Zacharias of Secha, you realize that there was something about him that transcends any mortal way of life. It's almost like these stories and these words are not about a mere mortal. You hear descriptions about St. John that he was the greatest of all the monks and that he had the entire desert of Shahid suspended on his fingertips. And so I want to just go through his life and meditate on a few qualities that made St. John the great holy saint that we all know. St. John had a pretty normal life at the start. He was the younger brother of of two, and he had Christian parents, lived in a good Christian home. His parents taught him the faith, and he continued to just go through life without any sort of exceptional, you know, events in his life. And when he was 18 years old, he um, he was drawn to the monastic life, okay? And so, there was this call that he felt, and he responded to this call. But I want to just take a moment to reflect on this call into his monastic journey. When St. Zacharias describes the call of St. John, he actually goes all the way back at his conception, when he was conceived, even before he was born. That he says St. John was, was called before he was born. He says, God chose him, sanctified and purified him beforehand while he was still girded and carried in his father's loins and while in his mother's womb. Right? And so you see there's something exceptional about him that he was called. And I think this actually relates to all of us. We're all called to a holy life before we even enter the world. Right? But Saint John had to respond to this call. Right? The difference between St. John and myself is not that St. John is called and I'm not, but that St. John responded to the call and I still have yet to respond to the call, right? And so at age 18, he goes to the desert, finds this elder, Abba Bemwa, and you'll see him referred to as Abba Amoy. The names are the same. And he goes to me and he says, If it is the, the will of the Lord, I too want to become a monk, so that I too may be worthy of being counted in the company of your holiness. So he goes to me and he says, I want to be your disciple. Right? But he puts this important clause at the beginning. If it is what? If it is the will of the Lord. So even his response was a response of humility, one that is predicated on God's will. Like, my desires are to live this life of monasticism. But ultimately, all I want is God's will. And what does Abba Bemwa do? 
he talks to him about the austerity of the ascetic life and the harshness of the monastic way. And he says, I, I know, I, I still want to learn from you. I want to be your disciple. I'm, I'm willing to put in the work. And so Abba Bama goes and spends the entire night in prayer for God to reveal to him whether this young man is truly called to live the monastic life. And God makes it very clear that not only is he called to the life of monasticism, but he will be the shining light in the desert. Right? And so he accepted him from that age. Right? So let's go through the progression of his life and we'll just reflect on a few qualities. And I think it will be very clear that there are one or two specific qualities that make St. John the Short the amazing saint that we all know. And we don't have to really debate this. Like we all know at the core of his life is what? Obedience. Obedience, which is a product of his humility. Right? It's this sort of humility that is total surrender, total submission. Right? And he followed this life of obedience in such simplicity, you would think he was like a little child. So just to start by a little story. Abu Bama tells him to go get water from the well. So, of course, St. John, the obedient man that he is, takes his bucket, goes to the well, which is a long distance, and he's going to go get water. As soon as he arrives at the well, he's like, shoot, I forgot my rope. <laughs> How am I going to get water out of the well? And so he looks at the well and he says, listen, my elder told me to get water. And I forgot my rope. And immediately, the water rose up to the brim. And he just took his bucket, grabbed the water and went back. What did he appeal to? His obedience. Like, listen, I was told to do this. I'm going to have to be obedient. So help me out. <laughs> A lot of times... We limit our obedience based on our abilities, right? based on the restrictions around us. But if we take our obedience seriously, then we're going to go and accomplish what God tells us. We're going to follow His will, even if the circumstances don't necessarily allow us to follow God's will. God will give us all the resources we need to follow His will. But this was the hallmark of St. John's life, this simple, innocent, faithful obedience. Saint Zechariah says, He first began to serve with complete obedience as a good disciple working diligently in true submission. And he wore the mighty weapon of humility that destroys and crushes all traces of sin, making him like our Savior, who alone humbled himself for our salvation, who came to us in the form of a slave, saving us while we were diseased and plagued with sin. Even to the extent that Abba Bemwe on his deathbed had all of the monks around him. He takes St. John's hand, kisses it, and he says, this is not a mere mortal, this is an angel. After having bossed him around for 12 years, and while Abba Bemwe was sick, and of course when you're sick you have a lot of needs, and St. John is constantly serving him and serving him and serving him. Not once did he get a simple thank you from Abba Bemwa for 12 years, day and, day and night, serving this old man. And he's working and laboring. Not once does he get a simple thank you. 
But out of his obedience and simplicity, he submitted to his elder with joy to the extent that on his deathbed, Abu Bimwan says, this is not a man, but an angel. Of course, he was tested by Abu Bimwa at the beginning of his life. Abu Bimwa kicked him out of the cell and told him to just stay out, to, to leave, get out of here. And so Abu John wouldn't leave. And so he stayed outside of the cell for seven days. And every day, Abu Bimwa would walk out and he would criticize him and he had this palm branch in his hand and try to like drive him away. And he would just bear it with humility and just pray and pray and pray. And you could read in, in his life the, the Psalms that he would recite during this time. And on the seventh day, Abu Bimu walks out going to church and he sees seven angels with seven crowns hovering over his head for every day that he endured. You see his forbearance and his humility to accept insults. I struggle to bear insults for seven seconds, <laughs> let alone seven days, right? And St. John did not even depend on this consolation. It's interesting that when you read this story, Abba Bimwan notices this. He sees this magnificent vision, right? The angels hovering over him with seven crowns, but he doesn't mention a word about it to St. John. So St. John still has no consolation and until this Abba Bimwa walks out and he says, okay, you're good, come back in. <laughs> but like, no apology? Was it worth it? Do I get a crown? Like, what's going on? Like, what happens next? Nothing, right? But he didn't care about the reward. He didn't care about any validation from other people. And that's because of his humility, right? God's approval for St. John was interior. He didn't need the external approval. He didn't need God's validation in, in the public setting, right? But he had that internally. He was secure with God internally. An elder once told Abba John, since he got popular and a lot of monks would visit him, he said, you're like a prostitute with all of her lovers coming to visit her. And so St. John hears this, <laughs> and he says, well, it seems that God revealed to you the truth. And then Abba Bamwa hears this incident, you know, developing. And he goes to Abba John, were you not troubled by what he said? Like, didn't that bother you? Didn't that disturb you? You know what St. John said in response? He says, no. Since in exactly the same way I am seen outwardly, so am I inwardly. So, did I seem disturbed externally, outwardly? No. Well, that's exactly how I am internally. Right? And so in St. John, there's this beautiful harmony. He wasn't hypocritical. He didn't have two different faces. Right? What you see is what you get with St. John. Right? And that's the beauty of his life. Right? There was no hypocrisy in his life. There was this pure innocence. He wore his heart on his sleeves. Okay? Some of the monks went to Abba Memwa to ask about the meaning of monasticism. And so Abba Memwa calls Abba John 
to explain to them the meaning of monasticism. This is his own disciple, right? So the elder is calling for the disciple to explain to them the meaning of monasticism. And so St. John says, you know, who am I to explain anything? It's God who knows. And Abba Gama says, okay, sure, but be obedient, tell them. <laughs> so St. John does the most radical thing. He takes off his robe and he's standing there naked. He throws his robe on the ground and steps on his robe. And he says, this is what monasticism means. To forsake your honor, right? To step on your desires. And so he voluntarily sacrificed his own desires. He sacrificed his own will. You see, St. John didn't just go water a stick for three years and managed magically produce fruit just by wishful thinking and a fanatical thought about obedience and humility. No, he truly trampled on his will. He stepped on his desires. He had no will of his own. And that's why at the beginning of his life, he went to an elder and he says, I want to be your disciple. If you go left, I'll go left. If you go right, I'll go right. I just want to be under your supervision. And that's the spiritual walk in our Christianity. Our Christianity is a walk of discipleship. Not just to think about well, what does God want me to do, but God communicates to us through our elder. Right? And that's the discipleship that serves as the foundation for our Christian life here, out in the public and out in this society as well, not just in monasticism. So St. John learned to direct everything to God. At certain times they would come and tell him, look, the weather is really nice and it's been raining and the crops are growing and, you know, people are going to have more work because, you know, the abundance of rain is producing crops and so on. He hears all this about society and agriculture and stuff. And he says this simple response. He says, yes, it's the same way with the Holy Spirit. If he descends on a soul, he makes it desire the light of virtue. <laughs> Talking to him about the weather and rain and crops, and he responds to them about the work of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> That's where his mind was located uh, in the spiritual matters. Right? Think about all the chaos around us, all the noise around us. We're bombarded with advertisements, with the news, with social media, so much that's distracting us. Right? But I tell you, even if you go to the monastery and you live as a monk, the world will not leave you. If you don't remove yourself from the world. And so St. John removed himself from the world and even transformed every secular bit of information into spiritual food. Right? This is such a beautiful quality that we can apply in our life today. Right? So often, we have opportunities to transform certain events in our life, certain experiences in our life, certain conversations in our life into spiritual food. Right? And that's the only way we can remain in communion with God. We're not only in communion with God when you're hearing a sermon, when you're in church, when you're praying your Igbeya or reading your Bible. We're in communion with God just in our daily life. Anything can be transformed into spiritual food. St. John worked. He labored. And again, His Holiness didn't happen overnight. 
When he was asked, what is a monk? His response was, a monk is toil. A monk is toil. Not just that the monk toils or the monk labors, but a monk is toil. A monk is labor, a monk is effort, a monk is work, right? And that applies to us too. So often we want to make progress without the sacrifice, without the work, without the effort, right? You can't make progress without that sacrifice, without that effort. And sometimes it takes a long period of time. Sometimes it takes even years, right? So we can learn a lot from St. John's life. Remember, in the beginning, he didn't just understand this concept. In the beginning, he had all this wishful thinking about living the spiritual life and living like an angel. And it's interesting because his older brother actually becomes a monk much later than St. John. And St. John is actually the one who instates him into the monastic life. Right, so he's basically like guiding his older brother in his journey in monasticism. And a little bit later, he goes to his older brother. And he says, listen, I just want to live with God. I want to like, go into the desert and live a deeper life of solitude, just to live like the angels. And he does that. He leaves for a week. And then he comes back, knocks on his brother's cell. His brother says, who is it? He says, it's me, John. He says, John? John no longer exists. He became like one of the angels. <laughs> and so he left his little brother in front of the cell all night long until the very next morning. And finally he opened his, his cell door and spoke to his brother and he said, Although your intentions are pure, we're not angels. We're human beings. We need to work. We need to toil. We need to labor. Right? Without that work, without that labor, there's no source of food. Right? Because we, we find our daily bread through our toil. And so St. John learned this. Learned this as, as enthusiastic as he was. He wasn't delirious. A lot of times we get fanatical and delirious in our wishful thinking in hopes that maybe if I just hit the lottery, if I win this contest, like I hit the jackpot, then I'm going to make this tremendous leap in my spiritual life. Like in one moment, like the right hand thief, someone's going to come and I'm going to make a confession, a one way ticket to heaven and it's, it's all good. That's not the way the spiritual life works. When St. John was caring for his elder, Abba Benoit, on his deathbed, he remained in obedience to his elder, even after his elder departed, which was crazy. Because now you could say at least he has a little bit of freedom, he has some room to spread his wings, he can go do his own thing, right? Like he's a big monk, he just produced a tree in this miraculous way by going to water a, a dead walking stick. But his elder says, whenever I depart, I want you to leave the monastery and go dwell in the place where you, where you watered this tree, which is 12 miles away. 
The Saint John was comfortable where he is, khalas, like he's been there for many years and we all know how hard it is to change. Right? Think about how hard it is just to change jobs that we've had for a few years. Right? Many of you even moved from Egypt in the middle of your life and came here and had to start all over again. And the thought of doing that again is kind of like crazy, like it was hard enough. Right? But for Saint John, he had no will of his own even after his father departed. So he went and dwelt by the tree. And because of his fame, because of his holiness, other monks started to congregate around him as well. Okay? And so this is a beautiful quality about St. John because even though he's full of zeal, like he strives for perfection, He's very hard on himself. He's very compassionate on the people around him. And he's very patient with others, even though he's very strict with himself. Right? And this is a beautiful quality, to be strict with ourselves, but gentle and compassionate with others. Okay? And anytime he would see someone falling into sin, he would say, him today, me tomorrow. Sure, he fell into that sin today, but I can very well fall into that tomorrow. Right? So he always looked at others with compassion and recognized his own sinfulness. And when the brothers gathered around him, he wanted to take care of them. Right? And so he wanted to provide for them a place to drink water. And so they started to dig a well. And for five days they would dig. But after all of this effort, they didn't reach any water. So what does St. John do? He gets into the bottom of the well himself and spends the entire night in vigils and prayer until finally a sweet spring of water bursts forth for all of the brothers in the area. Right? This is how much he cared about the people around him. You might think like maybe he wants some solitude, he wants to get away from all of the monks and just to be by himself. But whenever visitors would come, he would still care for them. He was hospitable, he was compassionate, he provided for their needs. Right? Do we do that? Do we have that balance in dedicating time of solitude with God for my prayer, but also to open my heart to others? Right? So there's a place of seclusion with God, but there's also a place of inclusion for others. It's a paradox, but the more we grow in our spiritual life, we realize that the heart of the spiritual life is really about our intimacy with God and our fellowship with others. St. John lived in a spirit of sacrifice and, and complete detachment. In one incident, thieves came in to rob him and he would even help them to load their bags to take their, his stuff. <laughs> like, it's, like he lived in it, he was totally detached. Like all this stuff, I'm borrowing it, right? It's all God's, even my life I'm borrowing and I'm gonna return it back to God. One time, you know, he like weaved all of these baskets and he was taking them to trade and for his sustenances, of course. And so on his way, he found the camel herder. Okay. And so the camel herder 
offered to carry the baskets for him. Like, you look like an old man that can use a little bit of help. So he said, sure, I'll take the help. <laughs> he gives him the baskets, they put them on the cart, and they're going along. Right? There's a lot of baskets, obviously, like, he's been working on it for a long time, several weeks. Like, imagine, like, all of your, your month or two months worth of work right there. And a little bit later, the camel herder starts using some obscenities, some obscene words, right, some vulgar words. St. John hears this, he's like, why would I continue walking along and, and expose my ears to this? He leaves the camel herder with his baskets and goes back to his cell. <laughs> Imagine you worked on these baskets for like one or two months. Imagine your, your, your salary for a month or two. And they're in someone else's car. Someone starts playing vulgar music. And you're like, you know what? I'm just going to get out of the car, keep the money. <laughs> it's literally what happened. Because he was more concerned about his purity of mind, keeping pure senses. He was more concerned about his holiness and his relationship with God. One time, he went to church and he was struck by one of the monks there. I think some of you might know this story. And he says, get out of here. And of course, like, it's pretty shocking. Like, you just randomly hit someone and told them to get out. But St. John takes it in humility and he goes back to his cell. A few of the monks see this and they're like, you know, let's follow him and see what's going to happen. Right? Let's question him about how he feels and stuff. They follow St. John. St. John goes into his cell. And then they approach the cell and notice that there's this sweet fragrance coming from his cell. And, and they hear all of these angelic chants in his cell. And like something is strange. And so they knock on his cell. St. John comes out and they're like, you know, we, we just wanted to clear the air. We saw what happened. Let's go back and like fix what happened. Right? You know what he says? He says, forgive me, my holy fathers. I don't know anything about these things that you speak of. If it was as you say, right? If it really did happen, if someone hit me and we need to fix this or whatever, then this probably happened according to God's plan working for the salvation of my soul through his saints. If this really did happen, then it was God's intentions. God's plan was to humble me. And he said that it was God's plan working for the, for the salvation of my soul through what? His saints. So he didn't not only refrain from criticizing the person who struck him, but considered him a saint. This is how he viewed everyone with purity. St. John was just no ordinary man. You know that St. John had this gift of spiritual vision in the liturgy, right? And he would see the angels standing next to him when he would administer communion. And if someone would come approaching in an unworthy manner, the angel would go to strike that person and, and St. John would always have to like hold the angel back like it's okay just be a little patient and then if someone comes and takes communion with 
a spirit of humility and faith, he would see this person beaming with light from the altar. He saw all of this. But how did he reach this level of holiness in the liturgy? Because I'm telling you, it didn't just happen overnight. The gift and the experiences that he had in the liturgy were a product of his reverence in approaching the liturgy. And so he was taught this from the very beginning of his monastic life when he was a disciple of Abba Bemwa. And so he would always take a long journey to get to the church, several miles to get to the church. And so he says, Abba Bemwa taught Abba John to walk to church in wisdom in a seemly manner, devoting himself especially to meditating on the scriptures inspired by God, ruminating on them in his heart with unceasing prayer, like a spiritual sheep, drawing the spirit to him through the sweetness of their meanings. And he also exhorted John down to the smallest detail to understand the things that he would hear in church. So not only did he exhort John to walk to church in prayer, reciting the Psalms and the scriptures, but exhorted him to be very careful in the church, like down to the smallest detail. He would exhort John down to the smallest detail to understand the things that he would hear in church, keeping vigil with compunction and tears without any earthly thought. And he goes on to say that even when John would ask him about spiritual matters, he would just give him a small little response, just one sentence. And he says, that's enough, so we don't continue to chatter in church. Even when he's talking him about spiritual advice, Abba Bimu would just give him one or two words, and he says, that's enough, lest we lose the reverence of prayer. And because St. John had this foundation, this reverence in church, he increased in wisdom, in his clairvoyance to see all of these spiritual mysteries. There is so much more we can talk about St. John's life. This is not even 10% of the wonders in his life. I want to encourage you to take some time to read the Holy Workshop of Virtue. It's very simple. The, the book by St. Zacharias, his biography. And you'll fall in love with his way of life, his humility, his obedience. And I'm sure it will leave an impression on you to walk in his footsteps. Right? May the blessings of St. John be with us, that we may follow him and glorify God unto him as do all glory forever. Amen. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.